Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel, and this is a show where I can talk about sports, I can talk about business, and I can talk about everything in between. Today, my incredible guest, Jahiva Floyd, he is a professional basketball player out in Israel, currently Holy Cross grad. I'm very excited to get to talk about March Madness, and is also the author of the newly published book, Godfidence. Jahiva, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Pleasure is all mine. March Madness, Holy Cross. I'm excited to talk about all of it. Your entire story is very inspiring. Excited to get into it. But Jahiva, the first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much? Uh, I grew up liking the Celtics. It's crazy. At the time where the big three came together, I, I was a big Roger Rondo fan. I liked the way he like passed the ball. He was like cerebral on the court. So mm-hmm. he was my biggest inspiration. But just being able to really mesh with like people on the court and off the court. It's just, it's just like another brotherhood outside of your family. So that, that was big for me growing up. I love that, man. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, I mean, Rajon Rondo, shout out recent NBA champion, Rajon Rondo. Right. So not, not too bad doing, uh, doing well down in Atlanta now too. Uh, I actually don't know if he's doing that well this season, but he did really well in the bubble, won a championship and that's all that matters. And yeah, back in the day, man, people forget like, he was so freaking good with KG so and Ray all those dudes. Like that was so much fun. So, but I know you're from New Jersey. Why? Mm-hmm. What? So did you follow all those guys to the nets when they came over here? Or how did that work out? I actually didn't. I'm still a Celtics fan, but Can't it's crazy. Can't blame I think it was because I went to Boston one time when I was younger and I, I'm actually a Patriots fan too. So I'm just in oh. that area and I went to Ooh. school over there. Holy okay. cross. All right. So it, it was probably, it was destined for me to be a Boston and Patriots fan. I like that, man. And so I, I did. So we didn't talk about this before, but I saw you're from Sayreville, New Jersey. Now I have to ask because I have been many times. How many times have you been to the Starland Ballroom? I've been to Starland Ballroom once. Once? <laughs> for, you live there? You concert. went one time? Yeah, I went to a concert, uh, P&B Rock concert. He's my favorite artist uh, around high school. Um, and he had a concert there. And I was like the only time I've been there, I think. Yeah, that's the only time I've been there. How many so times have you been? I've been like four or five, but I live like an hour away. So it's a little different for me, but shout out, shout out. Which man. concerts it's, would you go to? I went and saw Parliament Funkadelic there, which was nuts. Uh, mm. That was really fun. I saw a Pretty Light show there. Um, there was a couple others. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's a nice place. It's a great place. Mm-hmm. And then they got flooded that one time, which was a total drag, I think during Sandy or Irene, one of those. So, right. but I just thought that was funny. I saw you're from Sayreville. I got to at least bring out the Starland Ballroom at some point. Where that's from? the only thing. Uh, I live in Bridgewater right now. Oh, okay, okay. So, a little, little, little further away. I got to hop on right. 287 in the parkway, but it's not too bad, man. It's not too bad. We're not here to talk about me or the Starland Ballroom, really. <laughs> We're here to talk about you, Jahila, and I'm excited to get into it. So I know one thing, uh, and we'll get into a little bit later with the book, of course, but I know you're a very spiritual person. You're very um, aware when it comes to mental health and stress. Where did those influences come from within your community? Because I assume that has to have a huge impact on who you become as a man now. So where did right. those influences come from? I mean, I was born and raised in a church, and my dad's a pastor. So literally, being Pretty in big. church was literally my whole my whole life. So I didn't. I was a late boomer with basketball. I didn't really start playing basketball organized until 15. So the first 15 years of my life, I really was in the church, um, doing little responsibilities there, played the drums, singing in the choir. So I was in the atmosphere a lot. So I was really in, in tune, and even with, uh, behind the message behind my name, Jehovah, it has a special a spiritual meaning where it means God. So I've always had that rem- constant reminder of who I am and my faith. So that's always been my my go-to whenever um, there's problems come along. 
and just mental health in terms of the, uh, being black in America. Um, that's a lot of things people don't talk about is the the strife we go through um, mentally. And I see my mom suffer from it a lot, and which helped me realize how much I also like, go through it as well. So just being open and vulnerable my, about my experiences, helping uh, other people feel comfortable about, you know, not suffering in silence and talking about it. I think that's the best way to help it. Yeah. Yeah. I think talking about it is extremely important because as we've seen over, you know, like with the, the third, let's call it iteration of the internet now where social media is, it's pretty much, you know, it's connected to your hand at this point. I got this stupid watch on, right? So I know everything that's going on. So it's one of those things where we're so connected. It's finally starting to become a, 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 a positive conversation to have, right? It used to be like such a negative, like you can't talk about how your you know, right. feelings, right? Especially if you're a man, like, and, and then mm-hmm. again, I, I'll say that. And then I can only imagine what it's like being a black man, right? I can't say right. anything to that. Imagine now, being a black athlete. Like, there you throw go. Throw like, that extra so level on top of it, yeah. right? Like you can't be, um, you know, a wimp, let's call it. If you can't see me, you, you can hear me. I'm using air quotes, right? And, yeah. and so having that, you know, those multiple layers to it, how have you, like, when did you start having those open and honest conversations? Was that something you always had with your family, with your church, with your, uh, you know, community? Or is that something that you had to grow into and realize, hey, having conversations, not only does it help me, a lot of, nobody fakes depression, right? Everyone fakes right. being okay. I just saw that quote the other day from Robin Williams. Like, how, when did you start having those open, honest conversations with other people in your community? Yeah, I think it was when, I just got to a time where I got, I got tired of pretending that I was okay. Um, and just like you said, we, we aren't, we aren't allowed to be a wimp or be soft in athletes, uh, being black. And also in the religion aspect, like there's, there's not a lot of room to express your emotions, uh, and just being human. So I think during my college years is when I really got involved on campus and just realizing the platform I have as, as an athlete, I didn't want to just not take that seriously. I wanted to really hold that responsibility. So that's when I got involved on campus and I started talking about. Uh, the different issues of being a black athlete on a PWI campus, um, and uh, PWI. How that's over- what is what is PWI? Predominantly white institution. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, so all across is a predominantly white institution, and it was only um, like twenty percent like uh, people of color there. So, just using it as a platform, I, I was a co-founder of a Men of Color Athletes there, which is a group for us to just um, a safe space for black athletes to express their emotions. Around the time Colin Kaepernick took a knee for the um, during the flag so just certain things like that and unarmed black men getting shot just having conversations to relate and you know express ourselves so that's really what really motivated me to continue um to have that conversation that's really what helped me um write the book and just raise awareness to what's really going on behind the scenes of being an athlete because a lot of people have that perspective of athletes oh they're fine they have you know this like their life put together but Mm -hmm. we're human too so it's like I want, that's my message to the world. Like, um, as an athlete, like I'm a human first and then I'm an athlete. So that's, um, what I wear on my shoulder. So, and, and so one thing I always like to look at things as a positive, right? Like if you look at things as a negative, everything's going to be a negative. And one thing that has come out of, obviously no one wished for the pandemic, no one wished for the coronavirus, right? But obviously we've seen a lot of NBA, MLB, NFL players taking an even bigger stand now. Uh, and one that really came to mind, right? There was uh, Dak Prescott during this time talking about, I think he he lost his brother due to suicide and, you know, talking about what that's like and, and what he struggles with. Paul George, especially in the bubble, right? Like nobody, 
nobody thought like it was that bad to live in a bubble, but then you start breaking it down. You're just like, Hey, do you want to live in a hotel room for four months? Like that doesn't sound like right. fun to me. I, I, I hate living in a hotel room for two days. What's it like right. living there for four months and then all the protocols and everything that's on top of it. And Paul George came out and talked about that. And so how have you seen, what are, what are some of, again, looking at these things in a positive, what are some of the positives that you've seen since kind of the shutdown and, and really just the opening up even further of this conversation around mental health athletes being black in America? What have, what have you seen and what have you kind of put out into the world in that case? I think the COVID, uh, me personally, I think I am glad, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm glad no, it happened. I, I 100% understand but, what you mean. Don't worry. It really, it really yeah. got our attention and made us slow down and really realize like, okay, who are we and what do we want to do for the world? Like if we're sit there being put, like we have all the time where we can't um, have the excuse of I'm busy, I'm busy. Mm -hmm. But now you like taking the time, like, okay, what am I, what is my contribution to the world other than, um, you know, doing A, B, C or D, but what is our purpose? So I think a lot of athletes took that initiative and were like, okay, what do I stand for? And a lot of things went on during the COVID around like the George Floyd murder and stuff like that. So as athletes, people are looking at you like, like, what do you like? They look up to you. We have a lot of fans. So it's like, what if we say something is going to mean a lot more um, to the society than like a, a common person. Mm -hmm. So we had to take that initiative. And a lot of athletes did with like LeBron, Kyrie, uh, Jalen Brown and, yeah, so I I just I just followed early because that's they're on a higher level. Obviously, I have a bigger following, but I can if they can if they're doing it, why can't I? You know, so that's really was my inspiration behind you know writing my book during that time and just continuing to push the conversation of you know how can we fight racism individually as groups and stuff like that. So yeah, and, and I think it's a very important conversation to have, and it's it's very much in the the lexicon now. It is is a constant as it should be, right? Like how, how can we just kind of, you know, get it? Like, I, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand racism. It's so yeah. ridiculous. Uh, I come from a, a predominantly white area and I just, I just never understood it. It's obviously not something that I have to deal with, but uh, you know, it's something that, that is always there. It's always common. It's always a part of the conversation, which is just frustrating because a person is a mm -hmm. person. I want to judge you. If you're an asshole, you're an asshole. I don't care what color <laughs> your skin is. That's as easy yeah. as it gets for me personally. So, um, and, and I, I do want to go back to that, the point you just made, right. It's understanding that even though your your platform's not as big as LeBron's. It's not as big as Rajon Rondo's or, or Paul George or Jalen Brown's. You still have that platform, right? And and you utilize it at Holy Cross to create that group. As you, I apologize, I forget the name, but you created that group to help other other athletes, other black men and women like yourself and just giving them, as you said, a safe space to have those conversations. Right. How How have you been able to kind of like... At what point did you realize you had that power? Because yes, you're you're not LeBron James. You don't have 50, right. 100, whatever million followers. But if you can help one person, that's a positive in my life, right. right? You can help one person feel better. I think that's really important. When did you realize you kind of had that power, let's call it, to to be able to do that for other people? I see. I saw the power in the response of the, the panel we did at my college. And I created a video project of just us. You know, I don't know if you know... Uh, the barbershop, like LeBron yep. sitting around mm -hmm. talking. To, so I did something similar around nice. just around uh, my college. So I've seen the power and how it opened a lot of eyes to people. Like you said, you don't understand it. A lot of people didn't understand it. So to hear from our mouths and they see us smiling every day, they can see us more as humans. So once I've seen that shift, I'm like, I like, I know as an athlete, as a well-liked athlete, also wherever I am, like Israel and Greece, Holy Cross. If I if I'm talking about these things, it's easy for me to um, connect with people. Mm -hmm. 
on just a, a universal on universal human issues. So I so once I seen that, I'm like, okay, I, this is I understand the power of being an athlete and the power of your voice. Like, if you're silent, you're part of the problem. If you're if you're voicing um, about certain stuff going on, it's going to help the community, uh, whether people like it or not. Hundred percent, and just keep doing that, man. Again, if you can just help one person, I think it's completely worth your time and everybody else's. And I think that's the important part. And going back to Holy Cross, right? So you you started that group, which is incredible. We also played basketball there, which again mm-hmm. gave you that platform to do that. And as you you were telling me before, your freshman year, you actually went to March Madness, which is just got to be the craziest thing in the world. Like, what what was that's that experience in my life? Like, yeah, talk to me about that <laughs> a little bit because that had to have just been the coolest thing ever. Man, it was like, all right, we're like nine and twenty, and probably about to go home, and then go on this magical run. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's really unexplainable how we really bonded at that moment and just got came together. It was like, f it, like we about to just whatever you want, just put it all out there. And we ended up winning the championship. And I think be going to Mars Madness, I didn't realize how like people dream about that mm-hmm. all the time. Like they dream about that, and I didn't dream about because I didn't really know much about. Like I said, I was a late bloomer, so, I, so just being there, I felt like it was a dream. Like I'm, we're flying charter, we're getting all this love from everybody. That we have school spirit now. People didn't believe in us. I guess just my mo, just like uh, proving the doubters wrong. So it's like we felt like on top of the world, even though we won our first uh, first four game against mm-hmm. uh, Southern. And I remember got, that. Like blown out by Oregon, but it it was a great experience. I'll never forget that. That was the Dylan Brooks uh, Bell year, bunch right? They pros, went to the Final Four. Bunch yeah, of pros, bunch you're of good, pros. man. You guys were nine yeah. and twenty, and you get to play them. <laughs> I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I do remember that because I was like, "What's going on? Why is this team that's nine and twenty in the dance?" Like, I don't get what's going on here. But obviously, with the the playing tournaments and everything, I think it's awesome. And so, shout out to you guys, kudos and congratulations. Obviously, we have March Madness on now. It's a little different, uh, and I'm kind of curious going going back to you know the the the, the earlier part of the conversation and the bubble do you have friends are you talking to anybody in there or, or what do you assume that it's like because the the protocols that these kids you know have to go through they're 18 19 20 years old they're kids right like having right. to go through all of this living in that hotel room right it's one thing for the, the professionals who are getting paid millions of dollars to do it i still feel bad i don't feel nearly as bad now yeah. these kids who aren't really getting anything especially you know those kids at i don't know uh loyola chicago they're probably right. not you know getting as much as maybe some of those kids from ucla are getting right in terms of brand equity and everything how how have you looked at this one in particular and what it's like and just the stress and the mental health and, and the awareness again of what these kids have to go through essentially to just make sure these sponsors are are getting you know what what is due to them at this point All right i i feel for them i because i understand that what they're going through I played in the TBT, so we did a bubble mm-hmm. there. Cool. And also, like to be honest, like overseas, basically you're like in a bubble. You're in you're in your, you're in your apartment. Uh, probably it's twelve hours, eighteen hours out of the day. Like you're in your bubble. You just sitting here, whatever you like doing, you're gonna do. And that's when I wrote my book, obviously. But um, I feel for them. I have uh, old teammates. Uh, one of my teammates was on Illinois, and he just got upset. I didn't want to hit him up too early about it, but I'm like. So I feel for like guys like that, and I understand the stress behind it. But when you're so excited about March Madness, I don't even think you like the stakes are much higher mm-hmm. in that bubble than it is in um, the NBA bubble, where they're just like there for like so long. I think yeah. uh, the March Madness is going to be there for like probably a month or two. Yeah, a month to three weeks. Yeah, that's yeah, if you so make it I, the whole way too. So exactly, exactly. So 
I think you just focus on that. And obviously there's stress there, but I definitely feel for them. I know I, I know what they're going through. You, you might even go crazy, but you use that time wisely to really try to focus in on uh, the games up, uh, that's coming up. Right. Like, as you said, so many people have dreamed of this. I, I went to Rutgers. We had our first win in like 40 years in March Madness. Should have had two, but that's that's another conversation. But, yeah, you know, those those tough. kids like that's they're etched into Rutgers history books. Not that that's like the most notable history book, but it's still pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Right. Geo Baker, no, yeah. like those dudes, they, they 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 balled out and it was awesome. So grateful that we got to watch that. And, you know, definitely. You know, sitting here, not doing too much over the last year, that's definitely a positive we can take from it. And and as you said, right. you know, playing overseas, it's kind of like you're already in your own bubble. And mm-hmm. talk to me a little bit about what it was like to leave the country that you've pretty much been in your entire life to go overseas and, and not be able to speak the same language as I'm assuming most of the people on your team. What has that done again from a from a mental health perspective? Because that's just adding, you know, playing basketball already is stressful. Now you're getting paid to play basketball, which is even more stressful. And now you're not able to do all the normal things you do on a basketball court with your teammates and your coaches and everything. How, what, what has that process been like? And then, Oh yeah. Throw in the fact that the world shut down for about a year on top of it. <laughs> I would say overseas life prepared me for the COVID quarantine. So when I go. went home, I'm, I'm saying like, that's a positive. Uh, so I went home like, why is everybody so like stressed out about staying staying at home? I did I did it all the yeah. time. So like it was like kind of different. But leaving home, you don't see that. First. I would say that playing overseas is like the epitome of like what you're willing to sacrifice to chase your dream. Like my dream is to play professional basketball. But what am I sacrificing? I'm sacrificing um, family gatherings, being with um, my family members, friends, uh, stuff like that. So. At times it does get stressful. Like this year, we weren't able to get have a break in between. So I've been overseas since August. So I'm I'm at the point I'm I'm homesick. Like, but I have to push through because I, this is a job. So I've just learned that I've what uh, overseas basketball taught me was just to appreciate uh, those relationships that you do have um, when you when you do have a chance to be in their presence, and just really focus on what matters. And that's really like love, peace, and goes back to what I wrote about. It's just like kind of find that peace within yourself and trying to surround yourself around people who's willing to um, elevate and get to the higher levels. I love it. We're talking with Jahiva Floyd here, professional basketball player, March Madness aficionado author. And we're (laughs) going to get to the book in a second, but again, I want to go to some more positives. How cool is it to get paid to play basketball? Like that's gotta be pretty sweet, right? It's so cool. Sometimes I wish we get paid twice a month because it's easier, but yeah. when, I, when, I, when we do get that check that once, once, once a month, it's, you know, you don't take it for granted. That's for sure. It's, it's the wild, wild west over here. So, you know, sometimes you might not get it. Sometimes you do. So whenever I get it, I am, I am it's happy. About it. I just can't, I, I literally have a calendar run X out days just so I can get to the end of the month just so, to feel that. So it feels great. It feels great to really do what you love and get paid to do it. It doesn't feel like work most of the time. And you just want to get better and obviously make more money at the end of the day. That is important. And you've already, you've already been on multiple teams um, in, in multiple countries and pretty different parts mm-hmm. of the world, right? You've been in Greece and you, you played over there. You're now currently in Israel. Is that, yeah. is that kind of just the overseas lifestyle, the overseas basketball lifestyle is kind of, you're going to be hopping around a lot. You're, you're, you know, like, is that kind of how it works? Cause here, obviously we see it all the time, right? Today, as we're recording, this is the NBA trade deadline. So we're going to see a lot of right. movement, but usually you, you get to a team, you're drafted, you're signed, you're at least there for a year, year and change potentially. Um, mm-hmm. 
is the overseas basketball is it as you said it's the wild west so are you is is the expectation that you're just going to be kind of moving around a lot over the next few years yeah it's very rare to have like a multi-year deal you'd have to be really um connected to the organization which is yeah like i said like it's rare so you are getting used to just bouncing the teams back to back um which was new for me because in college you're there for four years Mm -hmm. i can get comfortable here i can grow and develop but when you're like overseas that one year you're with that country like that's how they're going to see you for the rest of your career so you Mm -hmm. have to like really do your like do what you need to do so it's just more of just learning how to adapt and you know just want to embrace the culture around you i think it's hard with covid now but i was in germany before I went to Greece just for a month and I got cut, but I tried as much as like learn the language. And after that, I'm like, but it's hard to learn one language in German, then Greek and then yeah. Hebrew now. So it's kind of hard, but you try to get what you can. Yeah. I'm sure there's common phrases and things, right. That you can kind of yeah. at least latch on to. I mean, I worked in a, uh, a restaurant and I had the same conversations over and over with some of the guys from uh, the Hispanic country. So it was, uh, you know, I had those few sentences that I could say, we had a nice little right. conversation daily. So I'm sure there's stuff like that you can do. And, and what now, now, so incredible basketball career, still rocking with it. Do you, Obviously, you're getting paid to play basketball, so we're going to do that absolutely right. as long as possible, right? But understanding exactly. you are an athlete, your body mm-hmm. is your your product, and eventually that is going to unfortunately stop being as amazing as it currently is. Is there are there things that you're looking forward to? I mean, obviously, you wrote this book, which you're going to talk about mm-hmm. in a second. You're you're doing speaking gigs, which I think is awesome as well. What are you looking forward to after playing basketball, if if anything at all? I think getting cut my first year really made me think about the future. I'm like, okay, this is not, this is mm-hmm. very temporary. So I have to really hone into what I want to do. And it's just doing that social work, the, the, the work I did in college in terms of just being an advocate for black athletes, talk about mental health. That's like really why I wrote the book just to have, you know, something that will prolong my career after sports. Um, so just taking that initiative now, just, I'm just looking forward to being the impact for the younger generation who wants to be, where I was, where I was, um, whether playing basketball, or just being a, a like black person in America, I can, I feel like I can relate to a lot of people, and that's really um, my gift. I feel like so, just continuing to do that. It's it's easy to talk talk to people for me. I think I love it. You're doing just, great today, doing man. That. You're doing awesome. Appreciate Shout that. out Alex for uh, putting us together. <laughs> He's a good dude. So let's talk about the book a little bit. The name of it is Godfidence. Where can we find it? I'm assuming Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Amazon. anywhere, anywhere possible. Yeah. Just Amazon right now. We're still getting there with the cool, cool, cool. bookstore. I mean, honestly, everyone just shops on Amazon now anyway. So right. you're good. If it's there, we can buy it. That's the important part. So I'm going to get a link. I'm going to put that in the description here for the YouTube video as well as the podcast. So anybody can go click that and buy that. But and as you said, you kind of were stuck in, in an apartment for a long time. When when did the idea and, and did you always want to, I guess, write a book? And and when did the idea come to you? And you said, you know, I have a couple minutes here. You might as well take advantage of it. I feel like I've always had like an impactful story in terms of um, just chasing my dream and being different than than the bunch uh, of people I, sur- I was surrounding myself with. But just going through that phase where I got cut and just transition from college to the pros is just a hard transition that I didn't know about. I just had the experience. So I was like, there's a lot of people probably in my foot. My, that would be my in my footsteps um like like in the future so i'm like mm-hmm. why not be that person to really guide them um so what really came to my mind 
around October 2019, I was like, why not just write a book? Because I was already journaling. It was just for like my own mm -hmm. mental health, just getting my feelings and emotions on on paper. And I'm like, this can really be something because uh, the title is confidence and self-confidence is always something that didn't come natural for me. Um, and, I, and I talk about how like my parents' divorce affected that. And a lot of people go through that. So it's like, I can always use my testimony to help somebody else. So like you said, it takes that one person you can help. And then, you know, you're in your, you're in your lane, you're in your, your purpose. So that was just really my motivation to do it. And so talk to me a little bit about the book. Is it kind of just pages from your life, some of those journals or, or is there like, what's the structure of it? And, and really what is it about? Yeah, it's a, it's a structure for sure, but it, it, it outlines my life story. It's like a memoir. It's not like yeah. an autobiography or anything like that. So there are lessons and, that I've learned throughout my life. It starts around like um, just how my, from my childhood. It talks a lot about childhood trauma. So I start off with the book usually. I mean, I talk about the book, talk about my um, when my parents got divorced and I wanted to enjoy uh, my suicidal experience and, um, and going through depression, how that that pain I, I, I um, felt then pushed me to become a basketball player. So I think we all have dreams and we all go through things here and there. So it's easy for us to all relate to that. How hard was it to write some of that stuff down? Like, oh, was so it hard? Yeah, like, so as, hard. and then putting yeah. like, right, willing to write it down and like, and right, yeah. admitting things to yourself. So many people lie to themselves. Like, dude, you know, if you're lying to yourself, it's not that hard. <laughs> but so many yeah. people lie to themselves, and then not only that, then you took it a step further. You wrote it down. Not only that, you said, "Hey, world, I would love for you to read there this." Like, how difficult <laughs> was that process? It was real difficult, but I realized there's a lot of freedom in living in your truth. And it's like when I say once I, my mentor taught me this, not, but once I started practicing it, life became so much more. And you don't really care about how other people view you because you know your story. The worst thing you can do is let somebody else tell your story. So that was really my um, motivation to write in the book. And also it was like a healing process of me writing my story, story down and understanding, OK, why why do I suffer from self-doubt? Why do I? Do not believe in myself. Why do I not feel like I'm good enough? So it's really acknowledging the past that you never really acknowledge because you're chasing this dream. Like you, you like it's, you're sacrificing so much to chase this one time, this one dream. And then when she, when I got to the dream and I get cut, I'm like, what now? Mm -hmm. So everything really unfolded. And and when you really look at your life, there's a lot of patterns. And if you don't really like acknowledge the patterns and see and try to fix the patterns you're going to become in a cycle and that's that's not freedom that's just being in a uh, repetitive situation so that's really how like the book is structured and then it goes around i just i'm very honest i'm a very honest yeah. person um, i think that's the that's a that's the beauty in life is when we are able to be honest about ourselves and to inspire other people to be honest about themselves so. That, that's how you connect with people, right? People can tell if you're not being honest or, or authentic, right. right? Like, and so if you can be open, honest and authentic with people, that's how you're going to connect with the most people. And going exactly. back to what we said before, that's how you're going to help the most people. And I think that that part is very, uh, very important. And, you know, as you said, like kind of writing a lot of that stuff down, something that I learned along the way was kind of, you call it a brain dump, you know, every morning, every right. night, just write down whatever you're thinking about and just get it out of your head. Because if you leave it in there, it's going to stay in there. If you write exactly. it down and put it somewhere, now you can kind of have, you know, quote unquote closure to, okay, I'm, I'm done with that thought. I don't need this anymore. It's, it's kind of out of the mm -hmm. way. It's, it's over there. It's in that book and, and you know, we're going to leave it there. So I think that part is really important. And not only did you do that again, you wrote down a lot of this stuff that's very, very intimate to you in your life. 
and you put it in a mm-hmm. book for others to read, which I think is very commendable. So kudos, shout out to you, man. That is not a lot of people can do that. So, so appreciate you no, helping no. the world, man. I've always, thank you. I appreciate that. I've always like looked up to people who are authentic and you see those in- inspirational speakers like uh, Inky Johnson, Eric Thomas, like those are the guys like, I want to be as nice. raw and as authentic as them. Like I want to be that. And there's a, and you have to realize what's holding you back from that. And that's always like an appearance image and, uh, what you care about what people think. And that's something I saw, I really cared about what people think. And that came from just being a pastor's kid because of what people thought affected mm-hmm. me. Like, oh. <laughs> like they expected me to be this perfect kid. I'm like, I'm not perfect. I want to be human. I don't want to be perfect. So mm-hmm. that's really is like, uh, I wouldn't say a F you to people who think I'm perfect. I'm like, but I'm human. Look, yeah. like, the book is here. Like, <laughs> that's what I wanted to say. Like, it was like a F you to people. Like, I'm not perfect. Like, I'm, I'm human just like you. Stop mm-hmm. giving, stop putting me on a pedestal. Like mm-hmm. We're all connected and we're all, you know, living this same life. Yeah, you have a real story, man. Like, where's the, you know, this isn't a fantasy novel. This isn't, you know, a, a rom-com, right? Like, it's it's a very real story. And, and, you know, everybody comes from somewhere. And you have to understand that our thoughts and our emotions are shaped by our experiences. And obviously, that's a very big one to you, right? Having kind of, as you said, being put up on that pedestal. You were the pastor's kid. So you probably had straight A's. And you probably, mm-hmm. you know, did all your <laughs> prayers before you went to bed. And you did all that stuff. Right. In reality, you were a freaking 14-year-old kid. Like, what did you expect? It, it was, like, it was a kid. so exhausting. And it's so, and you go from pastor's kid to athlete mm-hmm. now i'm on a bigger pedestal now you're now incredible things me, yeah. are really like which one which one do you want to be a pastor's kid or an athlete and that's why i had to find a balance between you know, like who do you want to be and covid mm-hmm. helped me you know, like, i sat down I'm like who are you like mm-hmm. you're not a, you can't define yourself by the pastor's kid. you can't define yourself as an athlete who are you in, in god's eyes or in your eyes like who do you want to be and that's what helped me really uh, write the book well, i gotta ask man who are you I am Jehovah Floyd. Love it. There <laughs> and I, we go. And, I, and I'm for the people. I am for people who who struggle with life and who want to get better, who want to do the internal work to um, accomplish their dreams. And that's how real and authentic we can get. Like, if you want something, go get it. Stop giving, like, I would say, I tell my friends all the time, it's like, you can't use the excuses of not want, getting what you want out of life because we only got this one time to, to do it. I mean, it's like if you're living for other people, you're giving your power away. Um, and I think the power is in who you are. And usually who you are is shaped by the actions that you have. Um, so just, you know, keying in on those and making sure you're at, um, who you want to be in your actions right now are aligning. I love it, man. Jahiva Floyd, author of Godfidence professional basketball players you get checks to play basketball man that's so sweet march madness yeah. aficionado uh Jehovah, where can um so let's do that one more time where can everybody find the book uh you can find a book on amazon okay and just search your name to have a floyd or godfidence it should pop up i'm assuming yep yep rock and roll confidence and Jehovah. where can everyone follow you on the internet to hang out with your story as time goes on you can follow me on instagram at fetty underscore floyd f-e-t-t-y underscore f-l-o-i-d and Twitter, Jahiva underscore Floyd. Love it. And Facebook, Jahiva Floyd. What is the Fetty? Well, I, I got to ask, where's that come from? Uh, that was a nickname given to me in high school. I hated that at first, but it actually like, started to become like something I actually like. Um, but I was a big Fetty Wap fan. Uh, nice. So I would, I, would run away, <laughs> I would run around the hallway just screaming, like singing his songs. Um, so people people uh, would call me Fetty and they just stick. And that's what people call me in college. And 
I'm retiring Fetty once I get married, though. Fetty, cool, yeah. You'll be he's married. my alter ego. He's my alter ego. Ah, my alter I like ego. that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Fetty Floyd does have a sweet alliteration to it, so I, it yeah. is pretty sweet. But, Jahaiba, this is absolutely incredible. One more time, make sure to go buy the book, Godfidence. It will be in the show notes here. I'll make sure to put it there for everybody that's watching. Sincerely, man, this was awesome. Really appreciate you being open and I honest. This was, a, this was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate you right. for having me on your platform. Of course. Bye, everybody. Yes.